You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with the coach. Harvey Hyde, follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com, for all of his content. We got a lot going on in the world of USC football and the Pac 12. We're going to talk about realignment, of course. Uh, the coaches' poll just came out. You know it's getting close when they're releasing the preseason polls. And Coach was down there with myself and the rest of the USCfootball.com staff checking out uh, fall camp. So I wanted to get his thoughts on what he saw out there from the players and coaches and the drills and all that kind of fun stuff. If you have any questions or comments for the show, send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. we got a bunch of voicemails to get to a little bit later on, so we'll play those for you and some text messages as well. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app, please follow the Peristyle Podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does help to grow the show. And Coach, you know what helps grow in the show? Getting back into the college football season, which we are almost there. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. I really am. I'm, big, I'm getting excited. I got my 12-pack out where I rank the top 12 teams in the country, and I've just released that, too. And it's fun yeah, reading all the preseason publications and, as you said, going down and uh, everybody regathering and saying hi to everybody on your staff and everybody else that's down there at practice at USC. It's sort of great. And I'll tell you, I want to say this. I really enjoyed meeting your staff, some of the new kids. I hadn't met them before. And then saying hi to Keeley, uh, a former employee of yours now with uh, the football uh, sports information office. It, it was just uh, a nice experience. Uh, when I got there, it was like in the middle of the night. I thought it was a night practice with all the lights on. But then it got bright. And uh, by the time we could see anything, it was time to leave. Yeah, so uh, that's kind of the way it goes. We get to watch the first couple periods of practice, uh, which we're going to get to in a second. But uh, you know, you mentioned your top twelve. I wanted to kind of compare that to the newly released coaches poll that came out on Monday. The AP poll should be coming out pretty soon as well. But the coaches poll, not as important as the AP poll, and neither one of them are that important. But I would say the AP is more than the coaches. Um, but I'll go through them real quick. Uh, Georgia, number one. They got Michigan all the way up there at number two. Uh, Alabama, number three. Ohio State comes in at number four. LSU, Brian Kelly, former Notre Dame coach, got uh, the Tigers up to number five. And then USC comes in at number six. So the highest ranked uh, Pac-12 team, which in the final year of the Pac-12, which we'll talk about a little bit too. Uh, and it'll be third in the Big Ten, which you know USC won't join until 2024. Penn State uh, comes in number seven, Florida State eight, Clemson at nine. It's a couple of ACC schools there. Tennessee up at number 10. Uh, then the uh, first Pac-12 school outside of USC, Washington 11, Texas with Steve Sarkeesian at 12. Uh, USC opponent Notre Dame is number 13. Uh, Utah, 
number 14, Oregon, number 15. So a couple Pac-12 schools there. And then you round out the uh, top 25. You got TCU at 16, Kansas State at 17, Oregon State way up at 18. Not bad. Uh, Trojans don't play Oregon State this year unless they meet in the Pac-12 championship game. Oklahoma is 19. Uh, Lincoln Riley's old stomping grounds. North Carolina is number 20. Wisconsin at number 21. Old Miss and Lane Kiffin, number 22. Tulane, uh, USC's opponent from the Cotton Bowl, number 23. Texas Tech at 24. And Texas A&M rounds out the the, the, 20, the 25 teams in the coaches poll. But a lot of a lot of USC connections uh, across, up and down the the poll, coach. Any thoughts on that? And then we could maybe do some comparisons to what what you think you're what you have for your top twelve. Well, you've got two coaches that used to be at USC in the top twenty five. You've got Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. So uh, that's something uh, good. I love following those guys and so on. I tell you, I don't have my poll right in front of me, but uh, if you give me five seconds, okay. Just say something. I'll be right back with it. Of course, Coach. Yeah, no, no problem. And uh, it is interesting. I mean, you know, having some of the USC opponents on the schedule and then the future opponents, it's interesting to see uh, with the Big Ten out there. But Tulane, uh, you know, a lot of it based on that win over USC in the Cotton Bowl, them getting into the top 25, you know, Notre Dame. A lot of a lot of teams USC will be playing in the teens, you know, the uh, Washington eleven, Notre Dame thirteen, Utah fourteen, Oregon fifteen. So uh, playing all those teams from eleven to fifteen, uh, you know, definitely some some tough games for the Trojans going forward. Well, I tell you, I've got mine. It's very similar. It's very similar. It really is. After uh, looking through it and comparing how many starters are back and what their schedules are and where they play their games and all of that, I've got. Uh, Georgia number one, fifteen and zero. I'm to tell you, they won two national championships back to back. They're loaded. I don't want to play them, and they'll probably be a favorite in every single game they play. So number two, I've got Michigan. They've got an offensive line back. They've got the starting quarterback back, uh, Harbaugh. This might be his best team he's had since he's been at uh, Michigan. So I've got him number two. Number three, I've got Ohio State. They were eleven and two last year. Uh, because they played a great game against Georgia. Losing that game, they should could have won that game. I know they don't have their uh, starting quarterback back, but uh, I, I think Ryan Day is a real, has a lot of confidence in this kid, Kyle McCord, and I think he'll do a great job. Number four, I've got Alabama. Alabama lost a lot of players, but, you know, 11-2 and two at Alabama is a bad season. And Nick Saban doesn't feel good about that. But I tell you, but the two games he lost, remember where he lost? He lost to Tennessee on the missed field goal, the last play of the game, and he lost to LSU 32-31. So, you know, the two losses he has uh, was pretty close games. And then they've got 10 starters, and, you know, he's just a winner, and he just locks and loads and relocks and ready to go again. So... But I got uh, Brian Kelly. I think he's done a great job at LSU. They're always loaded with players. You know, they went 10-4 and four last year. I think they really surprised people. But they got 15 starters back. And they got their quarterback back, ex-ASU quarterback Galen Daniels. And I think they could be a, a favorite almost in all of their games. Uh, they have a big opener against Florida State. I think that's going to be a key game for everyone. Uh, number six, uh, I've got USC. I really do. After watching them practice and so on, I've got them uh, up there. They're eleven and three last year. And uh, one thing about them, you know, we sort of remember the last couple of games, and we forget that 
they got a lot of offense back, and I think they're going to be better offensively. So when you have the Heisman Trophy back, uh, winner back, Caleb Williams, you're ready to go, and I don't think they were satisfied with their finish. So I think that they're going to be ready to play, and I think there's more seriousness out there, not taking things for granted. Number seven, I'm going to go faster. I got Penn State, then I've got eight Clemson, nine Florida State, ten Texas A&M. I think that uh, Jimbo, they're not happy with five and seven, but he's got 20 starters back. And he's got great players there, so uh, he's got to turn it around. I think he will. 11, I've got Washington, the same place everyone else does. I think they're maybe one of the best coach teams in the country. And they've got their quarterback back and uh, uh, some great players back, so I think they're pretty good. And number 12, I've got Texas. Steve Sarkeesian, the pressure's on him. He's got six starters back. They're not real happy at Texas. He's the favorite to win the, the pack or the Big 12, and he better do that, or otherwise I don't think he'll have much momentum going into the Southeastern Conference because it's not going to be easy. So that's my 12-pack. I call it 12-pack because I used to have that sponsored by Coors Beer, and I call it my 12-pack. I like it. Uh, the 12-pack. Uh, when we start talking about these teams and where they're ranked, you know we're getting close to the uh, regular season, and uh, it's great. And uh, there's a lot of interesting names on there because USC has some future opponents. Um, and we don't know what the schedule is going to be because now there's even more conference realignment going on for 2024. But you know, at some point, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, obviously they're going to be on uh, USC's schedule. Uh, well, let's get into fall camp a little bit, Coach, because I thought – um, you know, you being out there, it was great to see you. And, and I know you were talking to Connor Morissette and Chris Trevino and some of my staff members that were down there checking out practice. It was an early morning practice. So we, like coaches mentioned, we only get to watch when the, when they start up stretching. And then uh, you can kind of see them coming out of the tunnel and stuff going to the practice field. But start out stretching and then they do some position drills and uh then that's about it and you can uh then we can't watch anymore and we get kicked out but you get to see you know some of the guys in their position groups you can get a feel for like who's taking first team reps a little bit at least getting the early reps in their position groups and stuff so i I don't know where you want to start coach but anything that kind of stood out to you from uh watching fall camp well the day i was there which was uh, i think was last tuesday I was able to stand right by the gate where they came on the field, and as I told you before, I enjoy doing that. I'm only probably, the only person that probably does that. And I have uh, my colleague, buddy Chuck Hayes. He reads the numbers off and tells me who they are as they come through the gate. And I like to eyeball them and also look at the coaches and talk and see who everybody else and stood next to Yogi Roth, who knows them, and the voice of uh, the Pac-12 network. And he sort of uh, tells me who's coming and so on, and I like that like to eyeball a player up close. I'm probably three feet from them when they come through the gate and just see what they look like, how mature they are in the whole package as far as the new kids, the veterans, Gentry, what's his frame as far as the type of player he is that plays the linebacker position. I, I like to look at all of them. And also the new players. I like to see them and sort of size them up. And then we went around to Rod Dato Field had a chance to stand with all the media people there and enjoy that. You know, the next time I do that, when I'm over there, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, Ryan. I'm going to line everybody up in a football foundation or football position. I'm going to give everybody a position. We're going to take a picture of that. The Times guy, the 
everybody. We're going to light them all up and take pictures. So everybody, maybe you'd send it out or so on, send it out and say, these are the guys to get up as early as the coaches and the players, okay? And get the word out there of what's going on in the practice fields at USC and stick around and then come up with all the uh, interviews and so on that you do to help publicize USC football. Then we went over there, and uh, what I liked about on the other side, right, we've never had a bleacher or a place where we could climb up and have some height to be able to see around the field. We're always uh, flat on the ground over the playpen on uh, Howard Jones and Brian Kennedy Field. So I was able to get halfway up at first and watch all the drills, the quarterbacks, receivers, and defensive backs over on the Rod Dato field, and then I climbed back up to the top rail, and I could look down then on the offensive lineman, and the defensive lineman came over and watched them strike the, the sleds and so on, and then when they started to get together to go against each other, then of course uh, that was time to go. But I was able to see the size and uh, the physicality and and the type of shape they're in and, and all of that. I noticed some players had gained weight, some players had lost weight. I noticed the the size of the offensive line is much bigger than they've ever been before. And uh, some of the players that got a little rave now, that's getting a little rave, I said that that day when I was watching them strike the sled and do different things, I thought they were good players. And sometimes you put people in the number one spot a little bit too early, but you got to have a first you know, offensive line and so on. And a lot of times... When players come in on the portal, you tell them they're going to have the spot of a first spot. You're going to play this position and so on when you recruit them. But you've got to hold that spot and and keep that spot. And all I can't do is I can't guarantee you that. All I can tell you, you'll start there, but that doesn't mean you'll end up there. So we'll see what happens in that race. So I enjoyed that a lot. I was just getting into it really good when they started to bring the defensive line over there. But then it was time for us to leave. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty good vantage point. And I don't know how long we'll be watching the beginning of practice from there. It might just be through camp where they're doing a lot of the work over on Dato Field um, in the outfield to kind of get things started um, that we don't really get to watch. But they do, you know, go back onto Howard Jones Field and Brian Kennedy Field uh, and kind of finish practice up there. Um, But we do get to watch the early stuff that's over on Dato, and it's pretty cool, like some of the vantage point, and just seeing, you know, we get a pretty good view of like the quarterbacks throwing routes on air to the receivers and the backs, and like Coach mentioned, um, really a nice view of the offensive defensive linemen, which normally are extremely far away from where we are positioned uh, on Howard Jones Field, where we can't really see what the offensive line's doing. Got a lot better view of them hitting the bags, and and you know wh- who's going with first team, second team, and that kind of stuff. And really kind of what Josh Henson's doing with them uh, in those early drills. So it's 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 a nice uh, way to kind of see what they're doing. And I agree with you, Coach. I think the offensive line looks, you know, bigger across the board. So it's uh, that's one of the biggest differences I've seen, Coach, from like two years ago to now. Look at that offensive line group where you had half the guys that really couldn't even play. Now you got a lot of veterans that are good and there's a lot of experience there. And then a lot of young guys that have the potential – to beat those guys out where you just before you didn't feel like there was like six, seven guys and that's who could play. And then everyone else was never even going to get to see the field unless you absolutely had to feel like it's, that's a whole different story now with the line. I agree with you hundred percent. I think it makes the entire line better. Uh, 
When you know there's competition, and then when you go against good defensive players, that gives you good uh, uh, targets and competition between the offense and the defense. Like I've always said, and if you're a regular listener, you hear me say you get better during the week at practice. You don't get better during the game. Okay? You hope you're going against better players in practice than the ones you're going to play against. That way you become a better football player. You learn to hit a target. And uh, I think it uh, really does... uh, cause competition five days of the week not one day of the week so i think it's really good the more depth you get the more better players you get the more you compete against each other the better football team you play you become you better football uh, player you become because you know uh, learning how to be a football player is playing football not not doing the things of watching films and so on but actually going out and working on the techniques of what you're going to utilize during a game full speed. And that way you become a better football player. Yeah. And one quick note I wanted to mention, Coach. Um, If you look at the coaches poll, six teams from what will be the Big Ten in 2024 are in the top 25. And five uh, are in the SEC. So it's kind of crazy. Um a lot of those, you know, now that you're consolidating a lot of the talent, man, there's just going to be a lot of uh, Big Ten and SEC schools ranked in the top, you know, 15, top 10, things like that. So I just wanted to kind of point that out. Um, anything else, Coach, from the observations that you made there? Any players, individual players you thought that looked different or better or what you like? You mentioned Derek Gentry, maybe what you, th- you know, think about what he's, he's put on some weight. Uh, any, uh, any thoughts on any of that? Well, I tell you, I think they're loaded on the offensive line side. As far as depth, now they have to develop these kids to be able to play. And they've got the more live work they can get against the defense, the better they're going to be. You can't just step and strike, step and strike. You've got to go against a, a moving target, even if you're just in shoulder pads and helmet. You don't go down low. You've got to start working against them, and the better the defense becomes, too, and trying to get off a block and do whatever they're supposed to do. You got to have a rabbit over there on the uh, offensive side that uh, the defense has a chance to pursue to the football and know where the play is. We used to call him a rabbit. And uh, on the offensive uh, side, as far as quarterback situation, receivers and running backs, I think they're as good as they've ever been. They're better than last year. They've got tremendous depth. They've got, <laughs> I don't want to say too much depth, but they've got the type of players that are going to cause everybody to work hard, and they've got to get the right combination of players on the field at the same time and, and get to know each other and have the same pride and everything that works together. Because an offense takes 11 people at one time making something work. If you have one breakdown, there's a possibility it isn't going to work at all. And Caleb Williams is big at making things happen, even when there is a, a breakdown. But you don't want breakdowns. You want everybody to do their job and read the defensive properly and, and audible the right play and have the right blocking scheme and everything so the play has a chance. Because if the play has a chance, you've got great athletes now who can perform those skills. You've got running backs now, I think, that are really good running backs, the best running backs I've seen them have in a couple of years. Receiver-wise, they're as good as ever, I think. They've got a speed receiver now uh, that they haven't had in the past with the kid from Bishop Gorman. I really think he's going to be a, a fabulous receiver when they get him on the field and let him do his thing. They've got big receivers with uh, that are big targets. 
which I think that are really good. Uh, tight end-wise, they got to utilize their tight end a little bit more. And you hear me talk about it all the time. You can't win championships unless you run the football. So if they develop that and they run the football, that'll certainly make it a lot easier as far as for the offense to move the football and down-distance situations with a lot of confidence and, and not force you down on the goal line to throw the football when it's first and on a one-yard line and you're just trying to get a stat. No, run the football in there and use the percentages and do what's best for you to do. Don't take a chance for a sack. Don't take a chance for an interception. Don't take those chances. Just blow it into the end zone and everybody sort of huddle around each other and have a big break and celebrate and say, we're just tougher than you are. And on the defensive side, uh, when you look at the the personnel there, I think they're better. I'm concerned. uh, Didn't have a chance to watch the linebackers much, but I think I'm concerned a little bit about the inside linebackers. I didn't see Mason Cobb much do much. They were just starting to do things. Lee, I'm not sure about. Uh, maybe that freshman kid will be in there. I'm not saying anything negative about Lee. I don't want to do anything negative today because I haven't seen any full-speed stop. Uh, Gentry, uh, tall, thin, really thin uh, type of linebacker that if I was making a game plan, and I'm not telling you uh, any secrets, I'd run at him. I'd try to run at him as much as I could and make him – uh, wear him down and try to make him uh, make tackles, a lot of tackles. I pull my guards, everything on him, uh, and make him busy. I don't think he's the type of guy that can stop the run uh, physically. But, uh, you know, I'm just telling you what my thoughts are. And rush ends. I didn't have a chance to really watch Jim, but you got to put pressure on, on the quarterback. you got to get across and play on their side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see much of that, but I haven't seen a, a lot of that as far as the one day I was there as far as pass rushing. Uh, but if you don't have that, it isn't going to happen. I didn't have a chance to watch Corey Foreman much. Uh, I think this is a make-or-break year for him. He's either got to step up and play, or, and I don't know what's going to happen there with him. Uh, I was a little bit... Uh, I didn't quite understand why Lucas, the big transfer from Texas A&M, had lost some weight. I don't know where they're going to play him, but I don't know. I, I would play him down, but I don't know where they're going to play him. When you play him up, sometimes he's got to have pass responsibility, and I don't think that's good. I like the nose guard. Uh, what's his name? Bars from Arizona. He looks. He looks like he's got the square jaw. I like the square jaw for a guard. And uh, uh, let me think. And the kid from uh, Georgia, Alexander, never really got to see him do much. So I can't give you an opinion on that. Well, good stuff, Coach. Uh, I love the observations. And, uh, it's yeah, it's tough. We don't get a lot of time, so it's good to just kind of look around and see what you could see and, uh, you know, share your thoughts from that. Um, let's, uh, let's talk some Pac-12 now uh we did a well we didn't do a usc emergency podcast but i did a podcast of champions emergency podcast with uh david woods and it was very popular we had i think we had almost like 500 people watching it live uh we were doing this on saturday afternoon sort of breaking down everything that's happened we're hearing from some of the university presidents now i know um you know the University of arizona was saying it looked like everyone was going to stay together and then uh it was a president from Oregon or Washington came out and said, Hey, we're leaving. Um, so 
you know, it, it happened with Colorado first. And we kind of talked about that before. And then everyone expected it to keep going on, you know, after that. And then it looked like it was going to stay together. And then it didn't. And it was, I thought it was going to come from the four corner school side, but it really was from the Oregon, Washington side, uh, them leaving first. And so a lot of screw ups, uh, a lot of missteps by obviously Larry Scott, George Klyovkov. I mean, the presidents, the, you know, just them, their inaction over the years, uh, all of it. There's so many mistakes that had to be made for the Pac-12 to essentially dissolve after 108 years. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on it, Coach. It's just, it's just been crazy. Well, first of all, I, I think it's sad, okay? I think it's sad that the great tradition of the Pac-12, you know, when it was a Pac-10, a Pac-8, the way they developed it and then uh, had a chance to bring in Texas and Texas A&M and didn't move and they had a chance to bring in Houston. It had been quite uh, difficult for that conference to break up, but there was college presidents and uh, uh, some, I don't want to pick them out and, and tell you that uh, thought they were the elite, the Pac-12, and uh, those people uh, weren't good enough or whatever or denied them to come to the Pac-12. And then after a while, they turned around and said, well, we're not coming anyway. So they had a chance to get them, just like they had a chance. They got Arizona, Arizona State, which was a smart move. Then they got Utah and Colorado, which was a smart move. They sort of developed their areas as far as uh, location, population, areas of the country, as far as developing a great uh uh, what do you want to call recruiting area base and also television exposure. If they could have gotten Texas, Texas A&M, Houston, and whatever, but they uh, put the uh, brakes on and they weren't aggressive. And today you've got to be aggressive. You can't sit around. You got to be able to move and get it done. And, uh, and uh, they brought in uh, when they had the, when Tom Hansen resigned or not resigned, retired, Tom Hansen was a good man. When he retired, had a great relationship with everybody. When he re- when he retired, uh, the presidents went out, and I don't know who found Larry Scott, but they went out. And the first time I met Larry Scott was at the was at the uh, media day. And when the first time I heard him talk, I said, "No, no, this guy isn't going to get it done for the Pac-12." He was uh, sort of outstanding. He stayed, stayed in the background. Uh, didn't really say how important football was. He was going to make it a, you know, every sport is, is important and just as big, which they are. Don't get me wrong, but hey, the face of the programs are what? Football. They bring in the money. That's why. But he didn't really attack it that way. He was sort of, you know, he came from a tennis background. There's nothing wrong with tennis, but it's not as a commissioner. When you have the type of uh, job that you have as a commissioner, to know the contacts and know the people and know how to continue the growth of the conference and stick up for the, the teams in your conference. And, you know, he had no relationships with anybody in the conference or came from anybody in the NCAA. He's never been on the committee in the NCAA. I mean, he never, you know, knew what was going on. But yet the college presidents hired him. Uh, and then as it was going along, Ryan, you know how many times we've been talking about this, and I've been on this show since you got started. And I told you all along during it how many people remember that. If you've been around, I kept telling you he's not the guy, and you can find me if you want. He's not doing the right things, blah, blah, blah. 
But then they renewed his contract. When they renewed his contract, I said, what are they thinking? And and before that, they had they had gone through and uh, found out that he would, you know, they're paying him three to five million a year. I didn't I didn't see the check stub. And also he, he had some expenses that were unbelievable at one time. What was it? Five hundred thousand a year or something and flying on Yalir jets everywhere and so on is unlimited that they should have sort of said, wait a minute, what's going on around here? And then the development of a of a contract as far as with television and, and exposures and so on, never really get it got it done. He wanted to have his own network, and he never got picked up by DirecTV. Instead of, you know, when he came and put a network together, of course, or work with an affiliate like Fox or somebody like, you know, the Southeastern Conference, these other work with ESPN, where you've got already an established studio, a broadcast crew, the whole thing. But no, that wasn't his purpose. He was going to build in a very expensive area because he was uh, associated and knew the the Wallet Creek and all that area in, in the San Francisco area. Well, you know, the president's got to step in at some time and say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? We want to do it some other way. But no, they gave him full, full trial throttle and it uh, sort of uh, disappeared. And, and I really thought this, and a lot of people might not believe me when I say this, but when they fired Mike Garrett, <clears throat> uh, I think that sort of was the decline of the strength of the athletic department, because Mike Garrett didn't take any you-know-what from anybody. And uh, then the NCAA, because uh, the football program was just dominating, Pete Carroll was just dominating, dominating college football, that the rest of the world wanted to get even. Rather than try to beat him, they tried to bring down SC. And they hired Paul Dees to chair the committee, the investigating committee of the NCAA to investigate USC because instead of trying to beat him, they're going to try to find something that they're doing wrong. Paul Dees comes with the most, came from a program that had just been on sanctions and he was the athletic director and he's going to be the chair of the committee to investigate USC and make the recommendations. Are you kidding me? But no one fought it. They did it. Fired Mike Garrett, who had won more championships than any other AD in the history of USC. Brought in Pat Hayden, and he was going to do it a political way, and that didn't work with the NCAA. So it just continued to erode. erode. And uh, no one came to USC's defense. You've heard me go through this. Who in the Pac-12? Larry Scott, did he stand up and say, this is bull? You're not going to go after us like this. You're not going to penalize USC like this. We'll sue you or boycott you or something like that. No words like that. No, 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 no. No threat. No anything like that. They give the Heisman Trophy back. You know, anything they want to do, cut the scholarships down. And uh, and it just went on, and they defaced the, the face of the Pac-12 at USC, and all the other opponents and schools in the in the Pac-12 said this is our chance to even the playing field with USC. They've been beating us every year, so it gave them that opportunity with USC having fewer scholarships, and that was the demise of the Pac-12. And I don't think uh, I don't know if USC uh, ever forgot that. I know I never forgot that because uh, if you want to keep the conference together, you sort of band together when one of your legs or arms or the face of the program is getting attacked, and there was none of that.
and that showed me the strength of the commission. It was zero. Yeah. With, uh, you know, you're a Vegas guy. Uh, there was some optimism with Klyovkov came in, but man, he made kind of similar to like Pat Hayden, like pretty much every major decision Pat Hayden made, if you reversed it, you would have been better off. It was like a George Costanza thing. Just do the opposite. I think if you did the opposite of everything that, you know, outside of the beginning stuff, you know, getting rid of the offices and, you know, he, he fixed some of the easy, low-hanging fruit early. And I think Larry Scott did some of that, too, when he first started. But then after that, pretty much every major decision he made was the wrong one. Um, any thoughts uh, on uh, Klyovkov and the job he did? Yeah. Uh, first of all, let's don't forget Lynn Swan. <clears throat> he was a, a golf pro as the AD at USC. Come in, work out. Uh, have lunch and go play golf or whatever. He's the one that renewed the contract at Clay Helton. I think it's Clay Helton. Congratulations, Clay. But uh, then you have, uh, you know, Mike Bohm. But but the whole thing, uh, well, give me, I, I got distracted. What was the point? Oh, oh the, the commissioner. Okay. Klayovkov, Well, here yeah. they go again. Yeah, here they go again. And instead of going out and getting a, a commissioner. I mean, go out and get a guy that's been there and knows it. They need help. Barry Alvarez, a guy that knows everybody, that's been on the football committee, everybody. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy, but intern-wise. Just for interim period, uh, David Baker, who knows everybody, somebody that has name recognition in college athletics. Here's a, here's a conference that's drowning Drowning. They don't do they, and nothing against George K. But he's an entertainment guy. Entertainment in Vegas. Vegas is a great city, and he was a great guy. Everybody loved him there. But what experience did he have with the NCAA and doing the things that were necessary of putting together TV contracts, relationships within the NCAA, knowing what recruiting rules were, the violations? All the things you're supposed to learn, you're supposed to know all that before you come and get the job. He's learning on the job. Why do you have or how can you have someone be a commissioner or someone come in and say, this is my first heart plant, uh, uh, heart operation, uh, guys, but uh, someone helps me. I got assistance helping me get this done. Bull, you're the, you're the new sheriff in town. You've got to know exactly what you're doing, and the poor guy struggled through this. He was on vacation when USC and UCLA announced. He had no idea this was going on. At least he says this. How can that happen? I mean, I don't see how that can happen. Was that lack of respect for the commissioner when two teams in your conference don't even tell the commissioner that they're leaving the conference? I mean, I feel sorry for the guy. That's a slap in the face. So... Now he's, uh, you know, the the ship is going down, and now it's really filled with water. Uh, what is he going to do now? The pumps can't pull the water out. So Washington goes, Oregon goes, Arizona goes, Arizona State goes. Uh, there's not much left. There's four left. Now what do you do? Yeah. No, it's the Pac-4 is not, doesn't have a good ring to it. Um, so we'll see. I think uh, John Wilner might have caught up with Klyovkov and – he said he wasn't going to resign at this point. He was, you know, still trying to do something. So we'll see sort of what 
ends up happening there. Um, well, why don't we take a quick break, Coach, and we'll come back and uh, do some questions. So uh, back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Coach, we were just talking about uh, Hayden and Swan. Let me play this voicemail for you. Hello, Ryan, a longtime listener. And uh, to see the way that USC has gone with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and my question to you is why is Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan allowed on campus? Why are they not promoting Reggie Bush and these other players that gave their heart and soul to the school, and why are they allowing Lynn Swan and also Pat Hayden on campus when they have been really the worst thing for USC and also the Pac-12? And the incompetence of Arizona State and Berkeley and these other schools that didn't get behind USC when they were going through this tough time and didn't get behind them for the NCAA in terms of the sanctions and things of that nature. The incompetence of Pat Hayden and Len Swan with Clay Helton and everything else they brought to the table has been absolutely horrific. And Larry Scott, we need to point the fingers at people that actually caused the problem. And we need to be honest about it. USC is a powerhouse. They've got great academics. They bring a lot to the table. But going forward, they need to hire better people, train people, not first-timers, but people are proven with a track record. I hope they get it right going forward. But I also hope they bring back Bush and other people because they have a lot of legends at USC that can help the program, that can help to recruit. Oregon doesn't have it. USC does. How many Heisens does Oregon have? How many championships does Oregon have? Bring these gentlemen back. Let them promote the program and make better decisions going forward. Fight on. Oh, what do you think, Coach? Well, that was a, yeah, that was a uh, good summary of what we just talked about a moment ago. Uh, first of all, I think they went through a period of time where they tried to eliminate that, USC. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, the guys didn't feel welcome. And I know the players, okay? They didn't feel welcome going back to USC. Great players. You go to the practices, you didn't see them around. You didn't see them hugging guys. And and a lot of the coaches, staff that were there were not USC coaches. Uh, 
I mean, if you go out there now, how many USC coaches are there out there, really? And, and so the players didn't feel as though they wanted them, you know. And Ryan, and they eliminated the San Gabriel you know, Trojan Club and all these other Trojan clubs that these people that have been there for years, they stopped having a salute to Troy. Uh, different things happened there. A lot of the traditional things uh, fell apart. The alumni football uh, kickoff uh, tailgating they had, uh, some of the parking passes. And don't get me wrong when I say this, this is inside stuff, but it's the truth. When some of these guys, ex-players, were injured uh, and had, uh, you know, couldn't walk or wheelchairs or knee surgeries, they were denied parking passes. Are you kidding me? And they were taken away. I'm not going to say how or what. Well, they lost. These guys talked to each other. And they lost the interest. The guys quit coming to games. They quit coming to practice. Check and see how many guys came back to some of these reunions when they honored teams. Not many. And you mentioned, I think it was a 72 team, wasn't it, last year or whatever year it was, and some of the stars weren't even there. Why? There's a reason for that. Why? Because they weren't treated right. And they, they try, I think they were intimidated by the power of the athletic department during the years of the glory years that they've recently had, as far as with Pete Carroll and Mike Garrett and all the things that were going on there. And they thought it should be a, a change as far as that was to go. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the presidents should take blame for a lot of this to say, oh, well, uh, we didn't know this or what the uh, conference commissioner and all the that that's a cop out. I mean, it's always uh, someone pointing the finger somewhere else. And uh, uh, there's a lot of lot of things that have happened off the playing field or around the uh, support groups at USC. And if you're one of those people out there, I think you, you get the feeling of what I'm talking about, where, where people tell me it's not the same. And I hate to say that. It's not the same when you go to a game or you, you stand outside. Uh, they used to let you go to practice. You know what a change there is? when Pete Carroll's practices were wide open or other practices were wide open and you could bring your little league team or your Pop Warner team or you could run around practice and see it and highlight, be excited. But that excitement is not there anymore. I mean, even the media, I mean, 20 minutes. And don't I respect what Lincoln Riley's doing. I respect it. But if you can't trust some of these people in past alumni... When you ask people like the announcer of the Pac-12 to leave the field, are you kidding me, a past coach at USC? Come on, someone doesn't get it. And I think that that's someone and something that's missing now. And that's why I think it's so important who's going to be the next athletic director at USC understands that people want it the way it was. They want to bring back the things that they thought were important, and we knew they were important. Ryan, you went to USC. 
you know the the rallying, the pep rallies, the excitement, and all the things that fraternity row the day night before the games. I mean, the trips to Notre Dame, the trips to Cal and Stanford. These were community events, man. You couldn't get a ticket for those games. Well, you know, you got to bring that enthusiasm back. And the way you do that is show that you want him back and show that, yeah, we did make a mistake. Those things really did happen. We admit that. But now it's different. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's really important. I don't I don't think Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan have been around campus, to be fair. Uh, I haven't seen them at all uh, since, you know, since either of them left, I haven't seen them on campus. So. Uh, I don't know. They're not welcome or anything, but I just haven't seen them uh, football or anything like that. Uh, we got a text message from Marcel on the Inland Empire. He says, I know it's time to move forward, but can you devote a little time as to how bad Larry Scott screwed the Pac-12? I think Coach uh, did a good job of that already. Uh, but thanks for that one, Marcel. And then uh, Eric of Troy, Sir Eric of Troy. He says, when it comes to speed on this football team, let's say you had to enlist four guys to compete in the four by 100 meter relay, which four would you choose and who would run the anchor leg? It'd be interesting to hear your opinions. Uh, keeping up, uh, keep fighting on and keeping us informed. Sincerely, Sir Eric of Troy. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. That's a branch. Huh? Yeah, Zachariah Branch, I think, would be one of the first ones, or he could be the. Be my anchor man. <laughs> Rayleigh Brown, uh, a relic. Um, he might be the anchor man. I don't know. They're both both those guys are really fast. Right. Um who else would we want to put in there? I'm trying to think of any defensive players that you know are just like absolute burners. Burners, yeah. you know. It it might be mostly um you know, Quentin Joyner, I think We've is got a lot of quick guys, but I don't know if they're really fast guys. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Dorian Singer's fast. You know, Taj Washington, like those all would be, um, you know, some good choices. But those would probably be in my group. I don't know. Anyone else comes to mind for you, Coach? No. I remember the years, though, that when you were a football player and you ran track. Remember the O.J. Simpsons, Earl McCullough, Reggie Bush. I mean, hey, these guys were burners. They came in being great track stars. And that John McKay or Pete Carroll allowed them to run track because they could score points. And uh, I remember they would have spring practice in the morning and then run track in the afternoon. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, those type of days, you know, you don't see that anymore. But that's true. Those things happen. Yeah. All right. We got another voicemail for you. Hey, it's Rob and Yakaya. Just wanted to. Uh... Talk about the looks like the disinter of the Pac-12. Um, in my opinion, you know, this is a long time coming, and I'm not going to shed any tears over the demise of the Pac-12. And a lot of it is their own fault, obviously. But, but the commissioner and nobody really spoke out ever against them. It seems like the, all the presidents and chancellors, you know, just kissed his butt and went along with whatever they did. Treated USC terribly the last 10, 12 years when they had the sanctions. They didn't stick up for the the program. They, they're happy to see USC not do well. And USC and UCLA have been providing a lot of the revenue for the other schools. And now this is what they get. And I'm happy that this is happening. Things are going to be fine for USC. And it looks like 
you know, some of the schools are going to go to the Big 12 or the Big 10. So there will a lot of the competition uh, within the, in the state and with their rivals with Oregon will probably come back again. It'll, it'll reduce the amount, which is great. I'm happy to hear that. But anyway, um, fight on. I think this is great for the future of, of USC. And, you know, now they're going to be able to get a lot more money than they would have been saddled in the Pac-12. So anyway, USC gets the last laugh, and I'm happy to hear it. Thank you. Fight on. So well, no love lost much, there Scott. for the Pac-12, Coach. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of USC well, fans kind of feel like that. Be that bad. I want to tell everybody it's not going to be that bad. It's all going to heal up here. Some of the things people forget, too, the revenue-sharing thing that Pat Hayden put in that USC would share their gate when they played Notre Dame and Washington State would play Eastern Washington, and they would get as much uh, of the SC revenue. And why would SC want half of the revenue that had Washington State, Eastern Washington? Those are the things that were done uh, that helped uh, destroy uh, the athletic uh, base, foundation of USC revenue-wise. So let's get into the Pac-12. Let me just say, it's not going to be that bad, guys. First of all, now you've got Oregon and Washington in the same conference, and you're going to you know, be able to have a uh, conference game against one of them each year. That's what's going to happen. You'll go to their place, and one of them will come to your place. Save traveling. You're going to save possibly the... Stanford, Cal, those, those would be games. You'll play both of them as far as non-conference games, okay? So you don't have to travel as far to keep the tradition there. At least I'm just thinking, okay? And then and then uh, you're going to uh, uh, be able to, you know, maybe play an Arizona school, too, uh, from the Big 12 as far as a non-conference game or an Arizona State or Colorado or keep a rivalry going with Utah. Well, these people are going to have to find games, too. But you don't want to play more conference games than what you have to have. You're going to have a certain number of conference games, but you've got to play conference teams. And then what you're going to have, I think, eventually, if, if the Rose Bowl, Tournament of Roses, gets their head together and figures it out, the next three years, they're going to have playoff games, okay? Semi this year, the next two year uh, quarterfinals. They put together the Rose Bowl, where the Rose Bowl keeps its name. And remember, they can always take a team uh, from the Big Ten and have the Big Ten play someone from the Southeastern Conference. And that could be an SC, a UCLA, an Oregon, a Washington. That could still be there. Or you could even go as far as with the elective year. If they don't qualify, you could take a Stanford or Cal if they have a great year, whoever they are in a conference. Or you could bring out, you know, a team from the Midwest in Ohio State against uh, Alabama in the Rose Bowl. So it could still keep the flavor of the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 teams that left the Pac-12 are going to have to play uh, they're in the Big Ten or the Big 12, but they're going to have to play games. So you have those games as far as the Rose Bowl games, and you play these other teams that are now in the other conferences that you used to play in conference play. They'll be your non-conference games. So you don't have to travel as far. So I think once they put it together and they get a commissioner and they put the format together and they put a salary cap and they put the 
the times that you can do portal transferring, and they put all this together, what's it take a year or two? It'll all come together. It'll all come together. And uh, uh, a lot of changes going on, but you got to remember football is a great game with a lot of tradition and got to have some confidence now. You might not like what's going on, like I said earlier. To lose the tradition of the Pac-12 is ridiculous, but it's done. Yeah. It's over. So now you got to figure out what is the Pac-12 going to be. It's probably going to be the Pac-MV, which instead of 12 would be Mountain West. And they'll put that together, and that'll be the conference. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. We'll have to see. Uh, we got one more voicemail. I'll let you go, Coach. Here you go. All right. Hey, Ryan. With this new conference that we're in, now that Oregon is in and Washington is in, they have 18 teams. I think now that if we lose two games in that conference, we'll still make the playoffs because it's such a tough and respected conference. So, and it's going to be tough. You're going to take some losses sometimes in a conference that that tough, but the respect that it'll get, that's one of the reasons that we're moving. We'll still go to the playoffs since they're expanding to 12 teams next year. Curtis. Curtis, you're right on. Uh, and that's one reason they're going to 12 teams because of the competition and there will be games that are, uh, it's going to be tougher to have a perfect season like George's had and other teams have had. George, not many. Not many, believe me. And, of course, playing in the in the Big Ten is going to be something that's going to be a real challenge for any Pac-12 school. Why do you think the Pac, uh, the Big Ten is not is not going to protect the image of the Big Ten and going back there and playing a different type of football and weather conditions and so on and coming into the the big house and coming into these these places? They're they're going to get ready. It's going to be like a bowl game for them. Believe me. So it's going to be more difficult. You're going to play better teams. And, yes, you're going to lose a game or two along the way. And that's why there's a 12-team type of format for the playoffs. You might even have some teams in there with three losses, especially, you know, if you're from these conferences where you play SC, UCLA, Ohio State. You know, you play a lot of pretty good teams that are ranked. So you got to respect the scheduling and who you played and who you beat as far as getting in the playoffs. Yeah. All right. Uh, it should be, yeah, it should be an easier path, I guess. Well, not easier path, but uh, you don't have to be perfect to make it to the playoffs. But like, like Curtis was saying, you know, two losses in that, with that schedule, you're probably going to be making it in. And it's not going to be easy because you're going to have the Michigans and Ohio States and Notre Dames on your schedule and all that. So, and now Oregon and Washington too, along with UCLA. So, uh, they already did the pack, the uh, Big Ten 2024-2025 schedule. You got to rip that up, start again. So uh, adding a couple teams, and who knows? They might not be done yet. But uh, as of now, 18 teams uh, in the Big Ten. So that'll be fun to kind of watch. All right, Coach. Good stuff. Uh, looking forward to as our countdown continues towards the start of uh, the college football 2023 season. USC gets going early in a week zero game against San Jose State. So that should be a lot of fun. But thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you very much, and for all of you out there, we appreciate you uh, checking in with us with questions and so on, and keep them coming, and uh, we hope your team wins, and remember, game day is every day, okay? 
Love it, Coach. Every day is game day, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know conference realignment has been a little nutty, so we get away from football for a while, get back into it, and uh, let's try to talk about more what's actually going on down on the field. So stay tuned for all of that over at uscfootball.com. For the coach, Harvey Hyde, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoy the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.